You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries, from your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder. Any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm Adam here. Uh, Matt's on the road this week, going back to celebrate New Year's with his family in Virginia. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have an awesome podcast for you. Uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a spin and going upland birds. We've got Kyle and Frank here who uh, work with us. If you haven't heard from them in a in a quick minute, but uh, they're back with us to give some awesome strategies on upland birds uh, scouting. Probably giving us some hunt updates, so it's going to be exciting. Guys, thanks for joining. Kyle, you there? Yep, I'm here. Frank, you got me? Yep, I got you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so guys, uh, it's uh, in case you didn't know, Kyle and Frank, none of us live in the same town. We're a good little bit away, and so we're all telephoning in. Um, even if we live in the same town, we would we would keep our social distancing and, and, and telephone in, right, guys? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so weird times. So a lot of telephoning, uh, Zoom meetings, various things. So um, hang with us. Hopefully, uh, hopefully there's nobody jumping over each other since we're all talking via phone. But you guys, you want to take it away? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll take it. Um, 
So thanks a lot, Adam, for and and Matt for providing this this platform for us. And sort of evolved. Uh, Kyle and I were going on a on a quail hunting trip a few weeks ago, and um, what what we've noticed is whether on our Instagram platform or, or just visiting with folks that call us up, um, there seems to be a lot of struggle with people finding birds middle to late in the season. We're talking about quail primarily, but also pheasants. Finding birds, particularly on public land, which we, Kyle and I both manage, and on uh, walk-in land or Weehaw in Kansas, walk-in hunting access, whatever name it's called in each various state, um, those are lands that are privately owned but leased by the state for hunting access, and they're very, very popular. But we get a lot of questions about, man, how are you guys finding birds on these properties late in the season? First week or two, it's not, it's not as big of an issue, but you know, what do you guys look for? How are you guys being successful hunting these public lands um, mid-season to late season when the birds seem to be scarce, the cover is knocked down, it's bad weather? What are you guys looking for? So Kyle specifically had this idea, and we talked about it on one of our recent hunting trips. And um, so that's the that's the subject of the podcast today. Yeah, in fact, one of our well, shameless plug here, Frank and I have our own Instagram. Of course, we're part of Land and Legacy, but we have our own Instagram, uh, Upland Flush. So follow us on there. But we had one of our followers. Um, you know, he messaged me direct or messaged us direct, and I ended up calling him on the phone to, to talk about. He was driving from southeast part of the U.S. all the way out to Kansas, and he's like, you know, I hear you guys talk on the podcast about birds being, quail being hatched in, you know, pasture ground and stuff like this. I'm trying to hunt pasture ground. I'm struggling, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you've, you've taken – some of what we're talking about a little too far. I mean, where we're talking about where quail are raised in June, July, and August doesn't necessarily mean that's where you're going to find them in December of January or November. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of pieces to this puzzle. So kind of got us thinking it, it's intuitive, you know, Frank, for you and I to kind of do what we do. We go out and we hunt and we know what we're looking for. But it, it made us have to stop and and step back and try to think, well, now I got to explain this to other people, mm-hmm. something that we do instinctively. We've got to explain to some people what to look for yeah. and, the, yeah. and the, the, the layout of it, too, not just, hey, we want maybe some grass and some forbs. And but well, what's the neighboring piece of Weehaw look like? And so we'll kind of cover some of that here and and discuss some of those details that makes a difference of whether you find that that covey in the back corner of that we are you don't find them um anyway. yeah you're you're right so you mentioned it's kind of instinctive to us and it is we were both fortunate enough to grow up as bird hunters and so we learned from a young age what to look for where our dads found birds where where we found birds while we were hunting and then as as quail biologists and wildlife biologists and public land managers, we get to see that on a daily basis, where are birds hanging out. So we are fortunate from that standpoint. And it was just kind of just a part of what we do and who we are and didn't never really gave it much thought that um, people that don't work with Bob Whites or pheasants as intimately as we do um, may not have that that same inclination or that same um, 
knowledge base to know where to look for birds. And especially, as you mentioned on the podcast, we're really pushing grassland management for Bob Whites. And we, and we certainly should, because if we can't raise the Bob Whites, we can't find them. We're not going to be able to hunt them in the, in the wintertime, but I don't think we've done a very good job of, of saying, okay, now we've raised them. Now we've, we've provided good nesting cover, good brood habitat. We've got good birds on the landscape. Now it's December, it's January. Where are we going to find them? And that's a whole different subject. And so that's, that's what we want to tackle. And, um, so let's let's start there, Kyle. Let's 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 kind of walk through a situation where, um, what are you looking for, based on your knowledge base, based on what you know about quail through research and through hunting. Let's say let's let's say you're 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 um, first time hunter in Kansas and it's opening weekend or it's or it's right around that opening week. Bird numbers are at the maximum level. What are you going to look at for wheat hauled in or walk in hunting ground then? And then we'll take it, proceed through later on in the season, and we will demonstrate how that changes. So let's say you're from the southeast part of the United States. You roll up Weehaw in Kansas the first week. What are you going to be looking at if you're going to be targeting Bob Whites? So we want the same basic components that we want year-round, but but the amount of those components can vary seasonally. So we still need some grass. We still need forbs, weeds, whatever you want to call them, broadleaf plants. And we still need woody cover, right? All three of those things we need every week of the month, every month of the year. But the amount of that changes throughout the season. So if I'm pulling up to a Weehaw opening weekend, and it's got some scattered plum thickets, and if it's, let's say it's got scattered plum thickets, and it's ranked CRP, I mean, the you know, just that eight foot tall, big blue. Yep. Um, uh, you know, now I'm thinking coin flip if there's a covey here, because I don't have the Forbes, what, what are they eating? is my next question right there may be a covey here so now i'm looking at the surrounding landscape if this is just 160 acres of rank crp and it's got a woody draw going through it or got some plum thickets i'm not necessarily getting out to hunt that i might for pheasants Mm -hmm. which still depends on what's around it but i'm looking at what's on the neighbors is there crop stubble is there weed patch is can i see if there's a draw going through it, it was next to the draw, maybe has, you know, fireweed, things like that, some something that is not just rank grass and thickets. So I'm still looking for a little more diversity. Um, but it doesn't take a lot that first weekend, right? I mean, there's birds kind of here, there, and everywhere. And let, mm-hmm. Let's step back a, a step here uh, that a lot of folks, listeners, probably aren't going to realize People think of quail, they spend their whole life in this little five acres, 10 acres, 20 acres. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. And, right. and you and I know it from radio tracking them. That's right. I mean, we we had coveys, um, coveys, family groups, whatever you want to call it. So a brood, that a full-grown brood, we would have some of those that would stay pretty much in the same general area of where they spent all summer. For if 
the conditions, if all the habitat, you know, there was adequate food in the case of be it forbs or and or crops nearby and enough grass for thermal cover. But the big kicker is woody cover. We find mm-hmm. we found with our research that birds, the woody cover in the summertime, you just needed a thicket here and there. Right. Just enough to get a little shade and they can shade under some of the broadleaf plants. But come fall and winter, they would migrate to heavier woody areas. Yeah. So so that's the first thing that I'm keying on is, is there enough woody cover in this weehaw piece or what, you know, plots up in North Dakota or what, whatever you're hunting? Is there enough woody cover that I honestly expect there to be a covey there? We had we had broods, coveys late um, or early fall, late or mid fall, late summer that would migrate up to a, a mile from where they were raised in our research. Right. right. So they're moving to this heavier woody cover, be it more thickets or sometimes draws that actually even have some mature trees but have lots of thickets along the edge. Um, just a, a more heavy woody component. So that's one of the first things that I'm making me decide if I'm going to walk a piece of we are or not, is if I think there's enough woody cover to hold a cubby. Right. So, so you, you find that woody cover and you say, okay, that, and I, I would, I would completely agree. My, my, and even, even if we didn't do this research just from experience, that's, that's what we know. Now, occasionally I've seen situations where it's a big, tall kochia patch. You know, kochia is a, is a weed that grows kind of in the western states. It can get really tall and thick, tends to grow in low areas. And it can sort of substitute as woody cover in that early season. It's sort of a surrogate of woody cover. It's not preferred, but I've found quail and kochia patches where there wasn't much woody cover. That was incidental to pheasant hunting. You know, you're walking through there and hunting pheasants and, and a covey of birds gets up. And that kosher patch, but I'm I'm like you, I'm keying in on this woody cover. But let's say it's there. That's that's just one component. So you've got some grass for for roosting. And they don't need really thick grass for roosting. You know, they just need. In fact, they don't like a lot of thick grass for roosting. They like to be able to have open over their head so they can jump up. But if a key component is missing, and that's food, then we're just out of luck. Birds need to have the food, so we're looking for we're looking for that woody cover. But if no food is around, then we better rethink our you know rethink our approach. Um, so that's I'm I'm thinking the same way that you are. I'm looking around to see what food resources are available, and that can be either crop stubble, so milo or soybean or corn, uh, even a wheat stubble, depending on where you're at, or um, Diverse forb plantings or, or diverse areas of forbs, lots of western ragweed. We killed birds a couple of weeks ago in Kansas that were just full of western ragweed and kochia and other plants. Uh, there, there was, in fact, our best hunt or our best cubby locations that we found on that last afternoon mm-hmm. was in a was in a um, abandoned crop field that had come back in in kochia and western ragweed. It was really good, but the key was there were thickets close by. And there was food. If the thickets weren't there, we wouldn't have found those birds. They had to be able to find those thickets. So, unlike you, I'm looking for thickets first of all, and then, but you got to you got to have that food resource. It's just it's just necessary. And quail, 
while they like to walk to food, they will pick up and fly from a morning roosting area to a feed to a feeding site. So the food doesn't have to be right there, you know, within 20 yards. They'll they'll get up and they'll fly a little bit, but it needs to be reasonable distance. That quail aren't, you know, moving a quarter mile. They won't do that. But but it's got to be close by. So so we kind of talked about where to find them in the in the first part of the season. Well, then we've got some we've got some factors, some external factors then that are going to be affecting where we find them mid to late season. And what I'm thinking there is weather, a big, a big external factor, snow or heavy winds, cold, but also hunting pressure. And that is a big one that is affecting where we're going to find birds mid to late season. And it's really become an issue, you know, recently in the last three or four years, I know I've noticed and talking with you, you've noticed it too. And we even noticed it on our last hunt is is these weehaw areas in kansas are starting to see a lot of pressure people are starting to hunt them more particularly as wild bird populations across the country decline these areas in kansas or oklahoma and even parts of nebraska that have stable wild quail populations are starting to see a little bit more pressure than they had in the past so Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about how okay, say it's it's after Thanksgiving now, moving into December, we're starting to get cold weather, we're starting to get snow, and we're starting to get the external pressure uh, of hunting pressure. How are you going to approach finding bob whites in that situation? Yep. So now it's a game changer because look, these birds they have a will to survive, and they're not just right. completely stupid. And in fact, there's a bunch of documented radio telemetry work on public areas in the southeast part of the United States, showing where after multiple hunters have passed through, um, Covey's relocating to a random spot, just hearing car doors shut. We all know that most people know, you know, pheasant hunter gets out, slams the door, not good. Birds are already bailing out the end at 300 yards, but most people don't think about a quail being that sharp at this game. But there's proof that they are. So, And they'll start relocating to pieces you know the neighbor's piece that's not weehaw maybe maybe the weehaw piece let's let's lay out this perfect description right let's say it is a a 160 and it's not just rank crp it's actually pretty diverse let's say it's a a three-year-old planting so it's pretty new and it's weedy and and man there's a big draw going right through the middle of it that's got a bunch of thickets you know and Mm -hmm. and this and and it's got Milo stubble on one side and, and wheat stubble on the other, on another side. And, you know, this is looking pretty good. Um, those birds figure out, Hey, everybody that gets out, walks this draw, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they start, they're going to start relocating. So if there's a place, if they can, if there's an old homestead on the neighbors, if there's, if there's anything else, they'll move into even marginal habitat to avoid detection and they may move into that for a month if they have to if they can still meet their food resources and their overhead cover resources they'll make those relocations so sometimes it's going to be off site and you're just you're screwed well that's right and you know i don't mean to interrupt you but no but we see the same thing in missouri with our radio colored birds we saw some drastic movements well like one of the areas that we we monitor we lost what was it two-thirds of our coveys or one-third i can't remember off-site right before hunting season or, or right during yeah. the start of hunting season just responding to hunting pressure 
Yep. Yep. We lost a third of the birds just migrating off site before hunting, just the fall shuffle. Then we'd yep. lose another third two That's weeks right. into the season. So we produced, you know, if we produced 30 coveys, 20 of them had had vacated the area by Thanksgiving. So yeah. That, that's a tough deal. They're still there. We produced them, but they're tired of it. They might roost on us, and first thing in the morning, they fly across the road and pick around all day, you know? That's right. So, that's right. Well, yeah, yeah. So think about these. You know, our strategy becomes then this, this December hunt, you got to start thinking. Um, you got you to gotta start out working the competition as part of the deal. That's so, right. Most of these people I find that go out west, everybody wants to kill pheasants, right? Yeah. So first yep. of all, a lot of people are hunting the big the big CRP patches and they're taking quail as incidental. They're looking for pheasants. And that's fine. Pheasants are cool. But and and some of this strategy will work and put you more pheasants in the bag too. But if you're specifically looking for quail, you know, this is when Onyx pays off or any any type of mapping stuff that you can mm -hmm. really research i i want to pull up to places and i'm going to look for those um so so i'm still looking for the same conditions right i, I need the right habitat yeah but man if if i have the choice of a hey here's a 160 that i just described draw running through the middle of it got good thickets it's got you know food resources on two sides yeah there might there might be a covey there. Um, still might be a covey or two there. There there was opening weekend, let's say. Um, just depends on what's around it, where those coveys could have left. That's going to partly depend. Mm -hmm. If I look around and say, man, there's no other choice. These coveys have to be here. Or yeah, I could see they easily could have moved a quarter mile over there and be making a living. But I'm I'm more inclined to hunt a spot that has. Um, some of those walk-in areas out there will kind of have a deadhead maybe where you, mm -hmm. you know, there's a quarter mile walk across green wheat or wheat stubble or milo stubble to get back to the piece of cover. Yeah. And then the piece of cover doesn't look real pheasant friendly. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, most pheasant hunters aren't going to walk a quarter mile across there to go hunt this 80 of marginal looking pheasant stuff but it, if it looks quaily those are the ones i want to go to I'll, I'll make a deadhead back in there or the piece that has you know maybe it is that crp but the only woody cover is on the far back corner uh -huh. yep well most of the pheasant hunters are going to walk the open grass stuff and get back in their trucks they're going to make this the loop you know and get back i'll just make a deal i'll walk all the way back there to get to that one little piece of woody cover you know We've got some spots, and we hunted them, you and I did, where right. you, you made a trek like that literally to get back to two plum thickets the size of a house yeah, in the right. back corner of one field. Yep. And it sometimes it pays off, but it's, hey, if that covey's here, if that covey's on this property, I know where they're going to be. That's it's right. kind of a 50-50 deal. Let's just hike in. You know, we can be in and out of here in 20 minutes, yep. and we either hit them or we don't. Um, those are the kind of things you start strategizing and saying, you know, where would Joe Bob probably have not put in the effort? Um, would, would he have been willing to walk this kind of deal? Okay. Um, those are the fun things to start 
calculate. And then, of course, you got to be looking for all the obvious signs, too. You know, we're looking for tire tracks, fresh tire tracks. We're looking mm-hmm. for – we were fortunate. We had a, a little skiff of snow um, last time we were out in Kansas. So, yeah. you know, there's a couple places you pulled up and went, oh, whoop, somebody's been here. Because you don't know on Weehaw. If you're getting out of the spot at 2 in the afternoon, it could have been hunted that morning. could have been hunted twice. You don't know. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, and that, you know, that brings up a good point um, that that these these areas that, that get pressure like this, whether it be Weehaw, walking areas or even public land. Um, what we found and what I found is public land managers are a large majority of the hunters hunt very, very similarly. They hunt. They tend to hunt a piece of cover the same way. And those, there may still be birds there, but what I found, and I know we found it together, is those coveys are going to be smaller and they're going to be wild and they're going to run and they're going to flush out ahead. Um, and, and they're not going to be very easy to kill. Uh, and so it's, it's where you can find areas that are or overlooked that don't look very good from the road or that don't show a lot of promise between the truck and that piece of cover that you want to hit. Those are the areas that are most likely going to, going to still hold birds that are fairly and fairly good sized coveys, fairly unpressured, and you may get some, some good shooting at it. And one of the cool things that, that I like to do, and, and we're doing it right now on a, on a trip that we're planning is I love to pour over maps. I love to look at these areas you know, from my desk instead of out in the field, because then then you can really narrow it down and say, okay, this this looks like a good spot based on the the aerial photo. And you get there and it looks good. If you get there and it looks poor, well, still you, you you've not lost a lot of time because you've you've done the homework, you know, at your desk. And I enjoy that. And I think that's a lot of that's a large part of it. I I take a lot of joy and a lot of fun out of doing that pre-hunt research and looking at maps. And that's, that, that can add substantially to your hunt experience, not only just the excitement that you build while looking at those maps and anticipation, but you know, you have a, a greater sense of, of enjoyment when you've yourself narrowed that piece of ground from your computer. It just, it just adds more fulfillment when you find a covey that, man, I, I located that spot from, on X and bingo, their covey was there. So that's that's one thing that I would really encourage folks to do is spend some time looking at these aerial photos. You can really narrow these areas down. And 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 things change from time to time. But generally if it's woody cover, it's gonna it's generally gonna be there, especially if it's plum thick. It's um the crop type may change, but generally the woody the woody cover will remain the same. Well, and you raise an interesting point. So this is a largely a you know deer hunting audience. Um, a lot of folks that listen to this podcast. Well, I doubt there's very many of these guys that are listening to this that or gals that would just go out to a property sight unseen, never study the map at all, and just go hang up a tree stand and say, hey, "I'm going to hunt here today." No, if you're deer hunting, if you can't scout, you know with boots on the ground because it's in another state that you haven't went to yet or whatever the case is, then you're doing it with maps. You're trying to figure some of this out. And it's funny how bird hunters, that's, that's just not part of the game a lot of times. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know why not, because it needs to be. If, if you don't have those past experiences with that 
piece of ground or those pieces of weehaw, then you got to study some of this stuff and try to figure out what's going on because then you're just wasting time when you're out there. You're driving, you're pulling up to a piece of weed. Oh, no, that one looks like crap. Now we're driving another six miles to the next one. And, you know, that's just wasting time. I don't, I got a limited amount of days to be out there. And I want to, you know, I want to be covering as many miles. You and I, the last trip, we were walking about 14 miles a day. Right. And that's not right. playing around. We're getting after it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. So. Yeah, at the end of the day, we knew what we had done. and uh, But it felt good, you know, because we were yeah. maximizing our time. And that, yeah. that sure feels a lot better than, than goofing around and in the truck looking for a place to hunt. Yeah. Um, so that so we've kind of touched on where to find and, and we'll get to late season here in a little bit. So what we kind of touched on where to find birds within a year as the year changes. But an equally important aspect, and we we made some videos on our Instagram for, uh, page at Upland Flush. You can go back and look. We made some recent videos of where to find coveys within the day because covey location within a day changes. We started hunting right after the sun came up and then we hunted right, you know, right to mid to late afternoon. Uh, and where we found coveys first thing in the morning was vastly different than when we found them at noon and then where we found them again in the afternoon. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that because that can have a major impact on your hunting strategy is the time of day you're hitting a piece of cover. Perhaps you hit that walk-in spot that does have a covey or two of quail and you don't find them because you hunted it at the wrong time of day for those birds to be in that spot. Perhaps an hour or two later, they're back in there, but you wouldn't have known it because you hunted at the wrong time of day. So let's talk about strategies hunting quail within the day let's start you know in the morning um say at 7 38 o'clock yeah sure that, that played out exactly for us on one of those days and some of that then take it a step further what's the weather what's the temperature is it just changed drastically so if you're getting out there at daylight like we did well we had to we had a really big cold front come through um last mm-hmm. trip to kansas Mm-hmm. And so the second morning we're there, all of a sudden it's 20 degrees colder. It was in the teens. So we're heading out, you know, um, first light. Well, those birds are still going to be on the roost. They haven't laid down scent. They're not, and especially with that major cold front has just come through. They're not just, oh, yeah, the sun's barely peeking through, you know, time to go over here to, to feed. Um, no, there was birds staying on the roost till you know, nine o'clock in the morning. So the roost being, um, you know, it's going to be some type of herbaceous type, some, some grass around. They're not going to be tucked under the grass. They're, they're, they actually roost fairly open, but it's going to be amongst, amongst vegetative structure. So Mm -hmm. if, if you're jumping out and thinking, okay, Hey, we're going to maximize our time. And let's say you're in some of that country that has hedgerow, you know, every, Every weehaw has hedgerow on two sides, right. and that's where you find a lot of quail, right? And old hedgerows. Yep. Yep. Oh, let's go start hunting hedgerows, and it's 7.30 in the morning. There's not any quail in a hedgerow no. at 7.30 no. in the morning. They're we'll still out. They're, they're out in the grass. They're still roosting. And then their next move, sometimes pretty quick, 
Um, sometimes maybe by flight, sometimes walking, ideally walking if all the can if if all the habitat is right around there, is going to be to feed. And in a normal day, we would expect that feeding to occur fairly soon after sunrise. Yep. So so now we're thinking, okay, we got food plots. Do we have stubble around? Do we have, um, you know, maybe it's just a, a weedy field. Uh, maybe it's just diverse native grasses and forbs open enough that they can actively feed. And let, let's touch on that for a second because yeah, that's yeah. where maybe we've gotten some people confused. We've, we've kind of beat up the idea of, you know, food plots, managing quail for food with food plots with our research saying, hey, these big native landscapes are more usable space. So we, we grow more quail there. Yes, that is true. However, especially as you go out west, you get into harsher environments, don't kid yourself. If there is crops nearby, even if there is diverse food, these quail will utilize milo fields. They'll utilize corn stubble. They'll utilize soybeans. They'll utilize wheats, wheat Absolutely. stubble. Yeah. They're going to, I mean, you and I, you know, McDonald's isn't necessarily the healthiest thing for us, but sometimes we eat there. Right. Because it's convenient. So these birds at times, you get out in that harsher conditions, if I've got to pick 500 little weed seeds for the day, or I can pick 50 milo seeds, a lot of times they're going to go for the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that we do see, you know, use of, of those crops. So don't just write off, oh, no, it's all about, it. it's this combination of every. If there's crops around, I'm going to want to hunt you know, near to that crop edge, assuming that the, the thickets are there as well. If, if all the other habitat types are there and I got the choice of hunting the, the side that has the crop stubble versus the side that's butted up against overgrazed pasture, I'm taking the, the crop stubble side every time. That's right. Because um, they will utilize that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, move on to... Well, you can take the next step, yeah. you know. So yeah. now we've fed a little bit, either in crop stubble or, and then yeah. then where are they going for the? So yeah, so they're going to go to woody cover, and um, I, I laugh and we we talked about this on our last trip. When I was growing up, we hunted. Uh, of course, I hunted a lot with my dad and some family of his, or, or excuse me, of ours in um, in southeast Kansas. And um, so we would, it was probably an hour and a half drive from our house to go over there. So we'd get up in the morning, we'd drive over there and we'd get to uh, my dad's first cousin. We'd get to his house and he'd say, come on in and they'd drink coffee and they'd eat, you know, brownie or something. And I would just be like, let's go, let's go hunting. You know, what are we doing sitting around here talking, drinking coffee? And he'd say, no, nah. he said, we'll wait till about 9.30, 10 o'clock. Let these birds get into the brush, get into the, the hedgerows. And then we'll go hunting. Well, as a 15 to 17 year old kid, that, that didn't make sense to me. And I didn't really like it. I wanted to get out there and hunt. But what happened is these quail that were feeding in the morning, and it still happens now, then when they're done feeding, they're going to gravitate to these woody fence rows. In the, in the case of Southeast Kansas, it was woody hedgerows or woody draws. Uh, out west, they're going to go to thickets, whether it's fragrant sumac, plum thickets, whatever thicket it is woody cover and that dramatically reduces the amount of ground that you have to hunt the amount of cover 
that you have that you and your dogs, you know, have to have to go through to find birds. And so a lot of the old timers didn't hunt quail first thing in the morning. They waited till they got in the in the brush. And so if I'm hunting from 9:30, 10 to noon up to about two o'clock, I'm not hunting crop fields. I'm not hunting in the middle of the grass. Uh, I'm going and hunting from plum thicket to plum thicket, sumac thicket to sumac thicket, or I'm staying in the woody draws because that's where the quail are going to be. They're going to be there for protection from predators or thermal cover, uh, thermal protection for, from harsh elements, you know, in, in the wintertime. So they're going to be in those thickets. And that can really reduce your search image when you're hunting in midday. And um, that's what we did. It, when we got out to hunt, if if there were areas and during this last trip, there are areas that were poor of of woody cover. We just ignored it. Now we we may find birds out there later on in the day, and we did. But if it was during that midday period, we wouldn't mess with it. We'd just go and hunt the woody cover because that's we knew that's where the birds are going to be. So that those are the times when you can really make hay because you're cutting down on your search images. Your hunting loops don't have to be as big if you can you can hunt just the, the known woody cover in an area. And and that's and that's just kind of that's whether they have a lot of pressure or not. They're gonna be in these in these woody habitats. Um so that's that's my you know my advice uh, based on experience and quail biology of where are gonna be. Um but that said, that's not my favorite time to hunt. Um, and a lot of, if you read some of the old quail text and, and quail stories, people talk about this golden hour. It's the hours, you know, around 2.30 or 3 when the sun starts to get a little bit lower and there's a kind of a golden cast on the on the, the vegetation. Birds are feeding very heavily, and that's my favorite time to hunt. And that really played out well, particularly on our last afternoon in Kansas this last time. Oh yeah, when we got we hunted a spot that you know there were we weren't within a mile of any crop stubble. Oh no, and these are these birds are completely living on native seed, so they certainly can do it if there's adequate seed there. It's just lots of times you find that weehaw out there doesn't have much for weedy species. It's mostly grass, so they got to have some crops. But yeah, we we walked into a place that was just some old idle food plots and full of different kinds of. Of, of weeds annual weeds and my goodness not only did we find birds but we found big coveys mm-hmm. um coveys that sure didn't a couple of them didn't act like they'd been hunted and this is right. mid-december um yeah. yeah i mean got points on the covey rise got points on singles got i mean it was just had a really good stretch in there and it was all on native wild seeds yeah but yeah but we were walking through the middle of that stuff on purpose. We were, we had one person on the edge, don't get me wrong, you know, closer to some woody stuff, but it was three of us and, and we, we intentionally were out in the middle of this stuff, knowing that birds were probably going to be feeding. Yeah. Um, and so, and it certainly played the strategy right and, and it paid off. Yeah. I, I want to go a step further. You mentioned, you know, so going back to that woody cover or, or talking about them being whether it's in crop stubble or weeds, uh, weed patches. So I think this is lots of times where people get burned. It, it's the wrong time of day. So if yeah. they do roll up to 
let's go back to that most most a lot of weehaw shouldn't say most but a lot probably well over um 50 percent is is usually crp fairly low diversity pretty thick grass crp would you agree that's right in the western half most of it's you know for for pheasants but a lot of those spots have a covey or two of quail but if you roll up there Let's say it's just grass, and the 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 crop stubble is not in Weehaw. You know, the west side mm-hmm. of this has Milo stubble, mm-hmm. and you take off, and it's nine o'clock in the morning. Let's go hunt this. See if that covey of quails in here. They're probably out in the Milo stubble on the piece yeah. you can't hunt. That's if right. you were there an hour earlier or two, you might have caught them on the roost. If you're there an hour later, you might catch them in the thickets. But you're literally there at feeding time. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're not even on the wee haul. You just picked a bad time to get out of the truck. Yes. So yes, you got to plan your hunts around some of that. Okay, during this feeding times and morning and afternoon, I need to be on wee haul pieces or public or whatever that has adequate food resources on the part that I can hunt. That's right. And then take all the rest of the info we've talked about. And where can I find that that's further back away from the road, away from all the other what people would be hunting? And you use all of this stuff to kind of build this map. And and then, of course, you know, over time, your boots on the ground for a bird hunter are, are not typically, unless you live there, if you're a non-resident or you're traveling very far, you know, it, it's year to year. So mm-hmm. we're not going out and scouting um, I'd love to, but we're not going and scouting spots to hunt for this year. But a- every time I go, you know, you take that Weehaw map and you, you identify some good spot, bad spot, good spot, bad spot. Right. And after you do that three or four years, you string together enough good spots that, you know, lots of times you can you can put together three or four days of hunting and and not have to go back to the same spot again. You you yeah. finally put together a long enough list of spots to to keep hitting. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that experience is is huge. Um, that going back year after year makes a big difference. And and as I mentioned, the crop type around it might change. Um, and so if one year you did really well and the crop type next to it was Milo. The next year you go out there and it's and it's green wheat. Yes. Yeah. You, and you walk that. You know, man, where'd that, where'd that covey go? You know, this is no good. Well, they're not there because the food resources change. So you you got to be dynamic in the way you 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 move around and 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 don't just hunt the same spots because you found them there last year. If something on the neighbor changed, that's going to directly impact the birds on the property that you can hunt. Yes, and you just touched on a key piece that people should not overlook. You mentioned the green wheat. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's a game changer out there. If there's corn stubble, wheat stubble, or milo stubble next to something, that's adequate food supply. If it's green wheat and that's the only thing around it, I'm not even hunting it. Right. Yeah. If there's not if it's doesn't have good weeds, doesn't have good forbs, that I have seen it too many times. They're just, they're not there. They have left that spot and moved somewhere else because if it's growing green wheat, typically it's, you know, if it's, if it's no tilled into stubble, that's fine, but mm-hmm. some other type of stubble. But if it's, you know, been worked up, it's drilled wheat and the only thing out there is one inch tall wheat, no bueno. Yep. You, you'll kill a pheasant sometimes in those fields, 
but that covey of quail is long gone. Yeah. Um, and think about this happened to, to you a little bit, you know, you roll up there again, think about what's on the neighbors. Um, Hey, it was a drought year and they released some CRP to be cut or, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you roll up to a spot that had three cubbies last year and you say, Oh, my spot looks, looks decent. And you walk it and you find none or one cow. What's going on? Well, think about the surrounding land, you know, Oh gosh, that, that stuff wasn't paid last year. They hate two sides of this thing. Well, guess when they did that? They did that in the middle of summer during production. So right. you may have had zero quail hatching in that general vicinity. So that's right. All, all that's got to play into your calculations on this stuff. That's right. That's right. It's 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 a dynamic thing, um, and you can't you can't necessarily count from one year to the other that that it's going to be same coveys are going to be there or the same number of birds are going to be there it just depends on the disturbance around it and and the food resources and and that's that's a critical thing you go back to what we preach and what we preach and what we preach you got to produce them if the landscape around the spot is not good for nesting or brood cover whether it's been grazed out west very very hard or hayed at the wrong time well that's doesn't pretend well for your winter hunting but if it's good adequate nesting cover good brood cover and provided they're not in some kind of major drought um, then you can expect quail are probably going to be around there and then what you got to look for two critical things you've got to have woody cover and you got to have food those are so important during that time of year and if you can have those two together plus adequate production you're probably going to have wild birds around, but you've got to use all of your, you've got to use the knowledge of where to hunt during pressure, where to hunt during the time of season, and where to hunt within a day. All of those things must come together. If, if those, if you don't account for all those things, you can, you could potentially not, not have a, have a great quality hunt because you've, you've overlooked or you've not adjusted to pressure or you've hunted it during the wrong time of day or, or what, whatever the case may be. So, Let's let's transition here before we get done um, to late in the season. We're coming into that what I consider late season would be about 15 January 15th through the end of the year, maybe January 10th through the end well through the end of the year, the end of the season, which is generally the, the last part of January. Sometimes in some states, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, you hunt into February, but we're talking Kansas here, Missouri, or Nebraska. That late season can get pretty tough, but I've also had some really bang up hunts during that late season too. So how do you adjust? How do you hunt when you know that, man, this place has been hunted hard. Bird numbers are probably at their lowest they're going to be, but man, I still got to get out there and hunt. Well, you mentioned it earlier. One thing I want to touch on is you kind of mentioned that kosher patch that will act as a, a surrogate kind of woody cover early in yeah. the season right that yeah, right. that later they're not there well wild sunflowers out there a lot of times you get a covey blows up out of wild sunflowers too yep um well by this time of season those things are all that's those she'll hold up a little better the wild sunflower they're they've been flattened they're three yep. snows ago so so all that's off the table um food resources are going to be pretty bleak too um so you're gonna 
we're, we're back to now we're really into the heaviest woody cover it seems right. and sometimes and this is really hard to get out of the truck and just try crazy stuff mm-hmm. but i've stumbled into these kind of coveys it's these if you're if it's pressured situations cubbies just living in randomly weird spots right right um i've got a spot right here in missouri on one of my wildlife areas that every year by this point in the season there's a covey that's hanging out down by the lake and they're yeah. 200 yards from the thickets that they're normally in opening weekend thickets uh, where there's a food plot and there's native warm season grass planting you know yeah. textbook stuff um they're down in some some timber, but it's got um, down by the lake edge has button bush, and so that's shrubby. But this timber we've thinned, we've opened it up enough, and so there's there's lots of you know uh, broad leaves growing in there. And in other words, there's enough food, so we're right back to food resources. And they'll even eat over here in Missouri. They'll eat small acorns, you know. They'll eat post oak acorns, chinkapin acorns the only reason i found that covey one day was because i went down there and my dog was getting a drink at the lake and i stumble into him well danged if that covey doesn't do that every year like it's predictable yeah yeah so uh you you just get into some of those i've been cutting through patches of timber just Mm -hmm. cutting through one piece to get to another piece you know i hunted here and i want to get over to there going from point a to point b blow up a covey in the middle of the woods well that right that's a hard strategy. You're not just going to start say, well, I'm going to start tromping around stupid looking spots and hope <laughs> right. quail have moved there. But when that happens and anybody that's bird hunted very many years is going to say, Oh yeah, I've had that happen. Well, take note of it. Yep. Sometimes it's a fluke, but a lot of times there's a reason behind why that covey was there. And they'll, they will continue to do those kind of things in future yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, that's 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 spot on and i look for you know we we hunt a lot together so we we tend to kind of know where each other's going to go and gravitate you know we we've got a system because of experience and we tend to hunt um the thickest cover that we can find during that during that late season um go into stuff that you probably wouldn't want to walk into normally it's thinned out a little bit during that time because of snows and wind or whatnot uh, and, and still going to be hard to hunt but the stuff that you wouldn't normally hunt as long as it's good thick cover reasonably close to food resources those quail are going to move I expect birds that are pressured to move we've talked about that throughout this podcast you've got to be adaptable to to pressure because the, the birds are sure going to move to pressure and you need to do the same thing. So, so hunt the thickest cover that you can find. Also, be prepared for Bob Whites. They're going to start running when the dogs get close. We saw that even when we were radio collaring birds, when we could follow birds throughout the day. Um, when the dogs got close, you know, you get in those times when your dog locks up and like, oh, and get up there and there's nothing there. And you're like, oh man, the dog was lying. And it keeps happening. Well, there was something there, and we noted it with radio with radio callers. That covey was moving in response to to the to the pressure, and so they may run, they may, you know, loop out ahead or whatnot. So kind of adjust your hunting. If you see that happening, maybe make a loop, make a wide loop, 
and try to come in ahead of those birds. Maybe you can pin them down. Start using pheasant hunting techniques maybe for hunting wild bob white during that time of year because they will move and run a lot in response to hunting because they've known if they flush in front of somebody, there's oftentimes these bangs and my buddies fall around me. So this obviously is not working out very well. So let's try running this time. And that tends to, to work better. And so Bob White's do that. And um, so, so those are my advice, you know, stick to that heaviest winter cover you can find, but also be prepared for running birds and, and try to figure out how to outsmart them, how to outflank them uh, more um, uh, pheasant hunting tactics, maybe to, to, to get in front of these birds. And trust your dog too. Yep. I think I read one time some study down in the Southeast where, um, you know, they, they would monitor these dogs, people, people coming to hunt, uh, just regular parties that weren't involved with the research, but the, the technicians would be tracking the birds while these people were hunting. And 80% of the time, if I remember right, those what we call false points were not really false. They actually were, they were reasonably close to that covey or where that covey had just been. But you walk up there and you kick around, nothing gets up and oh, well, let's keep going. Yeah, the dog knew what was happening. The dog just couldn't get pinned, you know, get them pinned down and they'd already looped around or but 80% of the time, think about that next time. When yeah. your dog false points, he's not false pointing most of the time unless he's a mouse or something, yeah. something has happened, um, especially if we're not talking pheasants. Pheasants, they'll do that, of course, and the bird's already 200 yards ahead. But, right, right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it, it helps if you've got a snow on the ground. You can see what's going on. We saw that in our last hunt. Covey, we were trying to find, and we knew it's there. We never did find that covey, and and we we tracked it in the snow. We we had did that a couple of different times. Never did find that covey. Um, dogs pointed, false pointed, whatnot. We've seen that in Missouri on hunts. So the the birds are there. They're probably running, and they're probably going to go to the thickest cover that you can find. So if you if you see that situation, maybe make a beeline to some really thick cover and see if you can head those birds off or, or get them in a place where they're more likely to flush. Um, because they they are they are masters of survival at that time of year certainly. Hey, let's talk about something real quick. Uh, just popped into my head, but thinking about you know having spots and and again it takes years of of really racking up a bunch of spots. But I know a fair amount of folks that probably go out and say, hey, you know these are the these are our six weehaw spots. These are our money spots, and they're going to hunt them three days in a row. And and for pheasants, you know, especially that first right off the roost, that that's fine. Obviously, they get smarter and smarter every day that goes by. And if this is public or we all, there's other people maybe hunting those same stuff on weekends. You're not out there, or maybe even the afternoon. It's my experience with quail. I don't want to go back. Not the day after. Um, right. If I go hunt a spot and I have a three covey find on a spot i do not want to hunt that spot well i'd prefer not to hunt it the rest of the trip if i have enough spots but i absolutely don't want to hunt it the next day i have enough years of experience and enough data points logged um, my back-to-back -back day covey find rates drops 50 percent 
If, yeah. if I go to a four covey spot and then I try to turn around and go right back and hunt it the next day, I'm lucky if I find two of those coveys. You yeah. and I, yeah. we kind of got in a pinch last year in a, in a different place in, in Kansas. And our last morning, and we knew better, but we yeah. went <laughs> to a back-to-back deal and went from three coveys to none. Yeah, right. Uh, and we knew better than to do that. We just didn't have much time and we kind of, but I've seen that play out time and time again. So it's really important if you, if you can rack up more spots or even just try some new stuff or even that's why it's important. If you can keep going back to these places, always be looking for a few new spots, each yeah. trips yeah. because some, some known spots are going to go to crap on you over the years. Yeah. So, right. You always want to know where the next couple spots is. So you're not hanging on these three or four spots. That's all you got. And then when that's bad, you're, you're in a pinch. That's right. That's right. That's great advice that, I mean, that, that does play out. That does. And so just keep adding to your hunting inventory every year, keep building, building spots. That's a great piece of advice. So before we before we wrap up, I want to touch briefly, and I know we said that before. I want to touch briefly on um, situations. Let's say um, you're hunting public land, but you're hunting in an area where there's no crops. We've talked mostly about Weehaw, where there's crops. There are vast areas of Oklahoma uh, that's public land, and some of their WMAs that that are just large. You know, no crops. There's still lots of places in northern Kansas, Weehaws, and even in the southern part and in the Red Hills, where there are no crops. Um, but there's still good numbers of quail because they have adequate brood habitat and good native food sources. So my point is, just because there's no crops, don't be afraid to hunt those areas. The birds are going to be there because they're going to be raised there in good numbers if it's good intact habitat. And they can't really go anywhere because there's, and we found that, that we talked about a few minutes ago in, in Kansas, you know, where we found them that afternoon, there was no crops around. They're going to be there. Um, and my advice is in those situations, hunt them, certainly hunt them, don't not hunt them, but look again for woody cover. You got to have that, but also identify areas of good food, whether it's Western ragweed or sunflowers. Whatever the case may be, look for areas in the pastures. Those are these areas are generally pastures, large native landscapes. Look for areas where there are good western ragweed, good um, croton, all of these seeds that that quail really love to eat. Key in on these areas near woody cover. Don't be afraid to hunt these, but really key in on these these areas that that have good woody cover and abundant food sources, and you will find birds. You have to adjust yep. to pressure, like we talked about, depending on the time of the year and depending on the time of the day. It all plays out no matter where you hunt birds across the country. Use those times of day and, and, and hunting strategies that depending on pressure and the time of day, um, and, and you'll find birds. You can get really specific on, on what you just laid out, Frank. When you start talking about, I'm looking out across a place and there's a side slope. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of times the low ground is going to be pretty thick grass, or it might even be invaded with brome out west. But that side slope or the ridge top, you know, uh, more likely if there's going to be some weed patches, they're going to be on those on the worst soils, right? They're going right. to be on these right. 
side slopes or um, is the side slope facing the sun and it's a cold day? If I've got a choice of thickets on a side slope with some weed patches around, one's on the south side with, that gets hit by the sun and one's on the north slope that doesn't get sun, well, guess where I'm going to hunt? I want to hit the south stuff. So Absolutely. this Absolutely. you can get as complicated as you want with this stuff, but I think it's not that complicated. I think some people overlook the details, though. Yeah. Make a mental note when you find those coveys. Why are they here? Look around. What? Why are they here? And just like fishing, and then try to repeat that pattern, right? That's right. That's hey, right. I just caught a, you know, I fished three pieces of standing timber and didn't catch a crappie, but the first time I came to one that, you know, had a fork on the standing timber, I caught one. Okay, and I got a pattern. Same deal. Think about yep. it. Why are these quail here? And look around and all right, now I need to find more spots that resemble this. Yeah, absolutely. Put together that pattern. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Kyle, thanks. Um, this has been a great podcast. And one of the things that that we like to do, I know Kyle and I like to do, is we love to bird hunt. We love to shoot things. We love we love the experience of getting out there and hunting and 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 showing folks, you know, that the birds that that we do harvest and and you know having a good time with that but we want and we see that there seems to be a not as much in the bird hunting world of teaching folks how to be successful and that's what we want to do we want to teach folks where to find birds what to look for the hunting strategies to look for matt and adam do a great job with deer and wild turkey and other species and there's a and there's a lot of resources for for those type of species on how to be successful. In the bird hunting world, there's a lot of go to these places and here's what I've harvested, and that's fine. But we really want to drill down into how to be successful, how to maximize your trip to, to find the most coveys, and and uh, that's that's the kind of the space that we want to be in. So we hope this podcast really helped helped you guys narrow down and, and and your your bob white hunting and be more successful throughout the time of the year yep another shameless plug look us up on instagram upland flush we post some videos sometimes we'll be posting we're going to a exciting hunt coming up hopefully we'll have some pictures of uh hunting some quail species we've never harvested so yep. check yep. us out and hopefully you get well, some good info from us on that note yeah. if you guys want people to be successful um you got any tips on some of your spots they should go check out <laughs> well, um, should we post a map yeah yeah <laughs> you could drop waypoints in the show notes you need a waypoint? Yeah. yeah yeah that that's yeah. interestingly that's a big hot topic right now in the upland world is hot spotting it may be in all worlds but Specifically, there's a group arguing over how terrible it is to, to post stuff and hotspot, and then the other group is saying, hey, we got to help people out. And there's a fine line there. I get both sides of it, but yeah. it's funny you bring that up. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Anywhere yeah. west of the Mississippi River is where we try to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the old Night and Hail videos, somewhere in western Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, man. Guys, I enjoyed it. I sit here and quiet and just listen to you guys chat. And so uh, I, th- I I hope people enjoy it. Um, if you guys want to book a consult with us, man, we've got a lot of places we're going, both Kyle, Frank, Matt, and, I, and myself, um, everywhere from the northeast 
New York to uh, Minnesota, all the way down into Texas, and all the way over into Georgia, Alabama. So pretty much everywhere in between. If you're there and and have a are coming off a very poor season. Um, or you're looking to buy a property, we also are licensed real estate agents, so we can help you. Uh, no matter where you're at in the country, we can help you find a, uh, a piece of ground and get you hooked up with an agent right there um, to finalize everything. So shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv or message us on Facebook or Instagram. Fellas, enjoyed it. Talk yeah. to you later. See you. See you. Yeah.